Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thank you, Emma. Nice to be with you. And uh, if you're online and and you're new to Christ City Church, you're very welcome. My name is Steve. I'm going to be preaching, and if you're here physically and you're new, you're especially welcome. Uh, Psalm 51, we'll just pray one more time, Uh, so I'm just going to pray before I get going. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Please, Father, teach us what it is today to have a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart that is acceptable worship to you. And may, this, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. One of the harsh blessings of marriage is you're always very aware of your failures and mistakes. Like the time I ripped one of Leanne's favorite tops because I wasn't really concentrating. I did the zip up and I ripped it forever ruined, gone. Like the time when her Christmas present that I'd ordered was arriving late and I didn't get her a Christmas present to open on Christmas Day with the rest of us as she sat there and had to, and I think actually what she did was she wrapped her own present so she'd have something to unwrap because I'd forgotten. Like three weeks ago, Leanne had just got a new bread maker for her birthday and was all very excited and getting into gluten-free bread for Jacob and all of us. And I took, it was about her fourth or fifth slice and I took a, a knife into the loaf and uh, I was cutting for this beautifully fresh-smelling uh, piece of, you know, bread. And I was going through, and I suddenly hit something hard. And instead of stopping, I just took it out and, and, and tried again. And I hit something hard, and then I realized I was 
ruining this brand new rotator that mixes the ingredients and we'll have to buy another one. Just three sorry tales of an ever-growing list of mistakes and failures uh, for, of me being a husband to Leanne. The more that marriage goes on, the more I am aware of my mistakes and failures as a husband, and the more I'm aware of Leanne's grace towards me most of the time. Now, uh, the Christian life is like that. The longer you're a Christian, the more aware you become of your mistakes and failures, and the more amazing God's grace is to you. Psalm 51, David is messed up. And I mean messed up of the most spectacular A-grade messing up. Do you see the title of the psalm? For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. The title is actually flattering to David. He'd done a lot worse than that. Yes, he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba. You can read it in 1 Samuel chapter 11. But given that he's the king of Israel with such power and authority, one guesses that the sexual intercourse with Bathsheba was not consensual. She probably felt coerced. So you could probably add rape to adultery, couldn't you? And then not only that, there was a series of tactical and cynical moves where he abuses his position of power to cover up what he's done um, at first, he tries to get Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to actually sleep with her so that the cover-up of the child, uh, but then he's too righteous for that, and so then he has Uriah killed. So you have adultery, rape, abuse of power, murder. And so David tried to hide. He tried to do everything he could so he wouldn't have to face his sin. He tried to cover up, and he had all the power to do that. Isn't that what makes people so angry about lots of life's, um, you know, evil? Take the Catholic Church. Or just institutional churches, not just the Catholic Church. The scandals of the sex abuse. I mean, it's evil enough that people in positions of power abuse children. Isn't it not even worse that people try to cover it up? Isn't that what made the Irish people so angry? Well, now we know what David's like. He sins, and his sin is ugly. His cover-up is even uglier. And in shock horror, the prophet Nathan confronts him and brings him out of darkness into the light and says, you've sinned and you need to deal with it. And David, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance after Nathan has brought him into the daylight and he's come out of the darkness of the hiding and the cover-up. He he, he's facing God now. In fact, he's facing himself. Who am I if I've committed this sin? He's, he's actually having to face himself as well as God. So there's much we can learn for when we mess up and sin from Psalm 51. It's worth noting, this isn't just any sin against the Lord. This is sexual sin. Sexual sin has a way of ensnaring us and trapping us and filling us with greater shame than I think other sins. We want to hide and cover up even more when it's sexual sin. 
Before Leanne and I were married, we had various ups and downs with sexual purity, seasons of victory and seasons of failure. On one occasion, we were taking a trip away and we crossed sexual, sexual boundaries that we knew were wrong and sinful. And it was Psalm 51 that helped us back home to God, to being restored to him. David teaches us how to come home to God after sexual failure. And he asks for three things. He asks for a clean slate, verses 1 to 9. He asks for a new heart, 10 to 11. And he asks for fresh steel, 12 to 19. A clean slate. Do you see verses 1 and 2? And verse 9, bracket the first section of the psalm, blotting out transgressions, blotting out iniquity. Verse 2, washing away, cleansing of sin. Different connected ideas with a similar theme of the slate being wiped clean. It's as if every sin that David has committed is written on a slate, a record of wrong that stands against him. All his offenses are listed. The catalogue of debts he cannot pay, the adultery, the rape, the deceit, the murder, just logs all there on a catalogue, on a slate. A record of wrong that accuses him, he cannot cover up, he cannot conceal it, he cannot pay it off. So what does he do? What you should all do, what we should all do, throw ourselves on the mercy, the great compassion, and the unfailing love of God, because we cannot clean that slate, only he can. God can forgive. God can cancel the debt. Now, there are three words that David uses in verse 1 or 2 that help us understand the nature of sin and therefore the nature of repentance and forgiveness. The first one is transgression, that we've crossed a boundary. God told us in his moral law that it's wrong to murder, it's wrong to commit adultery, it's wrong to be deceitful. We know that, that's God's moral law, and yet we still do it. David did it. He defiantly crossed God's boundary. And by the way, Jesus says if you look at another person lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. So we're all with David. We're all with David, according to Jesus' standards. We all have fantasies and we look at someone we shouldn't and then we dwell on it. No one can say they haven't. And we've transgressed. Jesus said, no, looking at someone lustfully is a sin and yet we transgress that boundary. Growing up in Uganda, I had a trike, a, three, a three-wheeled bike, and uh, there was a sort of stone hall, you know, stone house, and so you could cycle around the house. But mum, like this, had put a carpet in one part of the house, and I couldn't drive my trike onto the carpet. You know, it was a boundary mum had given me. It was a nice bit of carpet for the living room. And I, you know what I would do? Three and four-year-old Steve get right to the edge of the carpet, teetering on the edge of this carpet, looking at mum in the eyes, and she looking at me, this sort of glare, will I, won't I cross the boundary? We do that with God, don't we? How close can I get? Can I get this? Maybe a bit. And then sometimes we just say, stuff it, I'm going to defiantly cross it. I know you've given me this boundary, God, but I'm going to come as close, and when I want to, I'll cross it. So we're rebels. We go against what God has said. Between the ages of seven and nine is when I had my rebellious patches growing up. I was a really nasty piece of work in primary school. A really rebellious child. But like David, certainly for the first year before the first parents' evening, I'd covered up my rebellion. So I was nasty to the teachers. I was nasty to my, my fellow children in the classroom. But no one knew about it at home. I was good as gold at home. 
But then the first parents' evening, it's like the moment that Nathan confronts David. I knew I was going to be brought into the light. And I, was, I waited up in fear and trembling, knowing mum and, mum and dad are currently finding out what I'm really like. That I was a rebel. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. A fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He's a rebel who must lay down his arms. Laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you're sorry, realizing you've been on the wrong track, and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor, that is the only way out of our hole. The process of surrender, the, full, uh, the movement full speed astern, is what Christians call repentance. Are you in a hole of sin? You want to climb out? Admit you're a rebel. Surrender. Throw yourself on the mercy of God. Secondly, sin is missing a mark. Even when we try to do the right thing, we can't. We try to be humble, we end up proud. We try to be generous, we end up selfish. We try to be kind, we end up harsh. We try to be pure, but our mind wanders to fantasies that don't honor God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we're not just rebels going against God, we're prisoners. We're trapped in sin. We cannot escape it. Even we try our best, our best doesn't hit the standard. Thirdly, iniquity. There's a depravity of our actual nature. As David considers his rebellion, as he considers his, his imprisonment to sin and his inability to even get to the standards God wants, he realizes there's something deeply wrong inside of him that he cannot escape. Verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth. This isn't a new thing with Bathsheba. This is who he is. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David is saying that he's been infected by sin. We all know about infection, don't we? We're living in a world of infection. David says, I've been infected by sin. From the day I was born, this is the doctrine of original sin. We inherit from our parents a twisted self-centeredness. Just speak to any parent with two to three-year-old children. They haven't been to school yet. They know how to sin. They haven't learnt it. It's natural to them. So we're rebels against God's standards. We're prisoners unable to escape. We're infected with a corrupt nature. So David says in verse 3, my sin is always before you. But there's something even more striking about our sin. We're rebels. We're prisoners. We're infected. But most of all, we've committed treason, verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Every time I read Psalm 51, I think of Bathsheba and Uriah. Against you, God, and you only have I sinned. I'm like, what about Bathsheba? She was the one that was forced to have sex with the king. What about Uriah? What does David mean against you, you only have I sinned? What about the nation of Israel that was deceived? It's not that he hasn't sinned against his neighbor. It's just that he wouldn't have sinned against his neighbor if he hadn't first sinned against the Lord. If he truly loved God, he would truly love his neighbor. If he truly obeyed God, he'd always honor his neighbor. Really carefully here. Before David committed adultery with Bathsheba, in his heart, 
he had put satisfaction of his own sexual appetite above satisfaction in God. If he'd been satisfied in God, he would have been able to be restrained with his sexual appetite. But he hadn't. Before David killed Uriah, in his heart, he was seeking to put his own kingdom, his cover-up, above seeking the kingdom of God. So we're not only rebels and prisoners, we're actually all leading a coup. We're trying to dethrone God as king and put ourselves in his place. We don't want to submit to God, we want to overthrow him. We know what we want to do and he should just get on and let us be in charge. Every sin is therefore seen as an act of cosmic treason. We're overthrowing the one to whom we owe everything. It's strong, isn't it, Psalm 51? But it's only as you see your sin in such terms can you really repent as David repented. If you don't, your repentance is shallow and the transformation in your life will be shallow. It's only as we understand the gravity of our sin will we understand the immensity of God's mercy, unfading love and great compassion. So David prays for this clean slate, objectively saying, God, would you wipe away this record of wrong that I know I have? But subjectively, do you see there verse 2, verse 7? I want to be cleansed. Cleansed with hyssop. Now, hyssop was used in the Old Testament if a leper... You know, someone being infected with leprosy was to be cleansed and brought back into the community. Hyssop was used. And for David, his sin is like leprosy that he can't get rid of. And so he says, I feel dirty. I feel like an outcast. I feel full of shame. This sexual mistake makes me feel unclean. I want to be whiter than snow, verse 7. So yes, a blotting out of my objective guilt, but also a cleansing of my subjective shame, that guilty conscience. You know, that's what God wants to do for every one of us. This is the Christian message. You can be free from guilt and shame. Many years later, God would, great David's greater son would come. Verse 1 and 2, he'd be full of mercy, unfailing love, and great compassion. And he would come and he'd deal with all our guilt and all our shame. And he'd die on a cross. He'd pay for our debts. He'd wipe the slate clean. And it would all be dealt with once and for all, forever. Forever dealt with. So we can come home to God. Hallelujah. Friends, what sin do you need to repent of now? I just took my lad and two of his mates away for a lovely weekend and I know there was something I did to one of the lads I was just too strong and as I was preparing this Lord I've got to get right on this and I said against you you only had I sinned what have you got to get right with stop hiding stop doing a David may this sermon be Nathan to you if it's sexual sin there's no, you're not in a worse position What does it mean for you to throw yourself on the mercy, great compassion, and unfailing love of God? One person put it like this. I think this is amazing. To confess your sins to God is not to tell him anything he doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are an abyss between you. When you confess them, they become a bridge. Use this service to turn your sins from an abyss between you and God to a bridge. To deal with that guilt and shame. To come home 
to be at rest, to be cleansed, to be forgiven. So David starts with forgiveness, a clean slate, and he moves on to a new heart, verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In other words, he's saying, God, I need just complete change around here. Change me from being a rebel to a joyful servant, obedient to your law. Set me free from my prison to be living as a free citizen where sin has no hold on me in the, citi- in the kingdom of God. God, cleanse me from my sin that infects me and enable me to, 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 to live in purity with you. Change me from wanting to commit treason and overthrow your rule to gratefully submitting to your kingdom's rule. I need a new heart, God. I need new desires. I need new power. I need a steadfast spirit. Only you can do this, is what David's saying. As he's realized to he's saying, there's no way I could, could make, it's not a self-improvement. God, you change me. Please give me a new heart. And God answered that prayer. In fact, David was praying for each of us. Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, John chapter 3, tell us that when you put your faith in Jesus and what he's done, you are born again of the Holy Spirit. You are sealed in Christ by the Spirit. You're empowered to live a holy life and d- develop the fruit of the Spirit. The law of God is written on your heart by the Spirit. You get a new heart when you become a Christian, new desires, new powers. So when you turn to God in repentance and you think, God, how am I ever going to do this? The answer is you can't do it, but you can ask the Spirit to give you resolve and a, to, for the future and purity and obedience. You can ask the Spirit to empower you afresh. And you can be confident, Philippians 1.7, that he who began a good work in you will continue it on until the day of Christ Jesus. God is never finished with his people. He is transforming us day by day from one degree of glory to another. So David says, give me that new heart, I need it. That's a great prayer when you sinned. Start with forgiveness, a clean slate, and then pray for that new heart. And that leads us naturally then to a fresh zeal. Once we were assured of our forgiveness in the past, once we know God giving us that renewed spirit, that new heart for the present, we can look to the future and serve in God's purposes again. David's dis- mistake did not disqualify him from ever being used by God again. God still had a role for him. Our mistakes don't disqualify us. And God says, no, I can, you know, Peter, the Bible's full of people that make all this. And God can use you again. You don't get just written off by God. And so verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Verse 13, David says, I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. People like me who have messed up, I'm going to go and teach them. My tongue will sing of your righteousness because you've been so good to me. Verse 15, my mouth is going to declare your praise. Once you know God's grace afresh for your own life, you can share that grace with others with renewed force. Like the prostitute who anointed Jesus in Luke chapter 7, our fresh experience of forgiveness can lead to an overflowing devotion to Jesus that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't had such depths of forgiveness. There can be a joy that's unmatched because of the failure, amazingly, because you're so overwhelmed by this mercy and grace. 
This is a bridge not just back to God, but it's a bridge back to future ministry. The failure can end up being used in God's purposes, like Psalm 51 has been used by God for many other sinners like David. There's only one thing that stops you experiencing all this. A clean slate, a new heart, a fresh seal. There's one thing that stops you experiencing it. It's not because you're too bad. It's not that you're too broken. It's not that you're too boring. It's that you're proud. That's the only thing that stops you getting this. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, what is it? Broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. God, David knows he cannot pay God back, he cannot atone, he cannot self-improve. He has to come to God in his brokenness and just be real and honest and contrite to mourn over his brokenness. In other words, our new zeal after we've experienced forgiveness of God must be matched by an integrity. We're not impressive people. We're not, like, we can't act as if we're macho and we're going to do it. No, we can't do anything for God. The Spirit does it all. The best of our efforts and gifts to God are hateful to him without a contrite heart. So we are forgiven. We are renewed. We are zealous, but we are humble. That's the Christian posture. Forgiven, renewed, zealous, and humble. Do you know, after Leanne and I sinned against the Lord on our trip away, and we used Psalm 51, we experienced a fresh grace and an overwhelming sense of his unfailing love and great compassion that David shares in verse 1 and 2. Do you know, even after I waited up in fear and trembling for my parents to return from parents' evening, knowing that I was going to be found out to be this rebellious child, I remember vividly their forgiveness of me. They didn't sweep my sins under the carpet. We had to talk about it and deal with it. I needed to change. But they accepted me. They loved me. They held my hand. They prayed with me. I was home. I was safe. I had a future. And so it is with God, through Christ, by the Spirit. When we mess up, like David, spectacularly mess up, we swallow our pride. We can come home. We can be safe. We have a future with God. You're not too bad, you're not too boring, you're not too broken, but you can be too proud. I urge you today, swallow your pride. Admit your sin. Come to God, who's full of mercy, compassion, and love. Experience the joy of your salvation afresh. A clean slate, a new heart, a fresh seal. We are forgiven, we are renewed, we are zealous, and we are humbled. Do you understand? We're going to pray and sing a couple of songs to finish. I want us to take a moment, whether you're online or in person, just think about an area that the Holy Spirit is currently convicting you on, an area of sin in your life that you know that Psalm 51 needs to become your prayer. Let's take a moment to be quiet and consider an action, a thought, a word where you haven't honoured God and you need to get right with him now.
Is it a repeated habit? Is it something you do with your eyes, your hands, your mind? Is it something that manifests itself in a relationship, a friendship, within a family member's relationship? Where do you know that you are a rebel and a prisoner and you're infected and you're actually usurping God? Just take a moment to pray. Ask God for that clean slate, that fresh heart and that renewed zeal. Lord, you know every one of us. You know our hearts better than we know ourselves. As we confess our sin to you, as that brilliant quote said, it's not that we're telling you something you don't know, but we're taking what's an abyss in our relationship with you and making it a bridge. So we say with David, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the fulfillment of this prayer, that you have forgiven us, that you've died in our place, and that for those that come to you in repentance can know that clean slate. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that gives us that new heart. And we thank you, Lord, in you there's always a future. There's always fresh zeal. And I pray that we'd be a church that is so amazed, so aware of our sin, but more aware of your grace. And we're like the prostitute that's just unabandonedly overwhelmed with joy and, and, and gratitude at what you've done for us. And that would become infectious and we'd infect people not with our sin, but we'd infect people with your grace because we're so overjoyed with who you are and what you've done. So thank you, Lord. I pray for those in this room and those online that you would assure them of their forgiveness in Jesus, that, that, that the slate has been wiped clean, that the guilt has been dealt with, they don't have to hide, that they'd be able to talk to people about the things they're struggling with and find a freedom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.